The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Hi, I'm Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. We're going to be talking today about respect and cooperation in families, and I'm happy to say that my guest is Sura Hart. Sura is a communication consultant, a public speaker, and co-author with Victoria Kindle Hodson of three books for teachers and parents. One of them is Respectful Parents, Respectful Kids, and another one is The Compassionate Classroom. Sura and Victoria also created a game, the No Fault Zone Game, which is a powerful communication tool used in families, schools, and businesses. Sura travels extensively, possibly also expensively, but definitely extensively, as a certified trainer with the International Center for Nonviolent Communication. She designs and facilitates trainings and curricula for students, parents, teachers, and administrators, and is co-founder of a five-day intensive training for teachers, uh, NVC Institute for Educators Teach for Life. Whew! So after all that, welcome to the show, Sura. Thank you, Virginia. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, well, it's just, great uh, to have basking you. In, I'm basking in your description because um, <laughs> it just helps me appreciate what a wonderful job I have. I really love my work. That completely and, makes sense to me. I, <laughs> I think I would also love helping parents and kids and teachers and administrators learn how to get along with each other better and solve problems yeah. together, which I think is you what you do. It. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. Like I have two wonderful roles in my work, and one is as a parent coach. I really love um, working with parents to help them create the relationships they want with their kids and, and also with other adults in their family. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of my work is working with educators and schools to create thriving, compassionate classrooms and schools. I don't know much of your background. What drew you into this work? Hmm. I had just, I guess since starting to uh, teach school, I was a school teacher um, all 40 years ago, and then also having my own two children to learn and grow with, I just have been so inspired by being with children and um, really observing in children our natural human um, eagerness to grow and learn and live just so fully. And so I think there's so much we can learn from children. And uh, unfortunately, 
I found in the parenting and teaching practices that kind of I, were passed on to me, more of a focus in uh, managing children's behavior and telling them what to do and directing them and thinking that we have to make all the decisions and know the right decisions to make. And that kind of parenting and teaching is pretty, pretty, pretty hard, pretty, pretty, um, not really very much fun. And what we find when we're spending all of our time directing kids rather than connecting with them and enjoying them and learning what they want to learn and being alongside of them when we're directing them, we get a lot of pushback too, which mm-hmm. is also not fun. And I think that's the source of a lot of pain in families these days is having an idea that we need to have the answers and then tell them what to do. There certainly are a lot of parents and a lot of teachers who think that a big part of their job is to get children to behave right, to teach them to follow rules, teach them to behave properly, teach them to be polite, punish them when they do something wrong. And that didn't sit comfortably with you. Yeah, right. I really didn't sign up to be a police person when I mm. when I became a teacher or a, or a parent, but in some ways I, I fell into those roles because I think those are the roles that we get passed down in this culture, primarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead, I found that getting down at their level and seeing what they're interested in, really listening to them, to me that's the most important thing is if we can take them seriously and listen to what's of interest to them and um, sort of follow their lead in that way with um, what they want to learn and also be able to um, connect them with what we're interested in as well so we can have a two-way, a two-way relationship rather than just a top-down one. Mm-hmm. We said in our announcement of the title of this program that we were going to be talking about how to make your home a no-fault zone. What does that mean for a home to be a no-fault zone? <laughs> so that's a phrase, um, the no-fault zone, that um, my creative partner, Victoria, and I came up with that we thought was kind of fun and points to what we hear from parents is what they want. They want, it's always the first question I ask as a parent coach, is what kind of a home life do you want? What kind of relationships do you want with your kids? And they all say somewhat the same thing. I want relationships of respect. I'd like more cooperation. Um, I'd like to have less blaming and judging and fighting and arguing such as we have. And I'd like things to be more peaceful and for our conversations to be more fun and productive and um, enjoyable for everybody. So we came up with the phrase, the no-fault zone, as what we're really after here. We're a place where there's not complaining, judging, blaming, accusing, fighting, arguing, but where we connect. And that's really the the goal of the no-fault zone is to connect with one another so that we can live together in the most wonderful way. Well, having been a stepmom in a blended family with four minor children raised in two different households with two or three different traditions, or maybe four households with four different traditions, 
It's hard for me to imagine a group of siblings not having a a bunch of blaming and arguing and, you know, negativity (laughs) that that you just described parents not wanting. Um, So tell me how you teach this. Well, I imagine you have a lot of good pointers to to give with that background. (laughs) I think that's how we learn a lot. I can tell you what not to do. (laughs) I can tell you what not to do, too. (laughs) Okay. I'd rather hear it from you. (laughs) Well, um, gosh, what you bring up just uh, fills me with so much appreciation for parents, and I think that's also what compels me in my work. I think parenting... Um, is really one of the most important jobs on the planet, if not the most important, and also one of the most challenging and difficult. And, you know, how many of us sign up for a job that goes for, you know, 20 years or 40 years? This is uh, this is an incredible job we've taken on. So that's also why I really like to be a parent coach. I think parents need um, a lot more support than they get, and I think that is one of the challenges is, parents getting the support they need to be resourced to, um, to live in a family um, of any kind, especially the kind you just described. Um, but uh, again, I think, I think we can do a lot if we actually take time, one, to be with the kids without driving them places, instructing them, um, going out, always going out the door, but really take time to listen to what's important to them and to take it seriously. So I think the quality of our listening is probably the, the key here, how we listen to what they say. Um, let's, and let's see can we, we listen could... for what, excuse me, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's see if we can come up with some examples, some stories about kids whose whose parents weren't listening to them and then they learned to listen or something along those yeah, lines. Well, well, let me give you some, some real-life examples because I, yes. I have a ton, a ton of them. But here's one, um, a recent one with my four-year-old grandson. We're playing at the park and he's having a lot of fun. And I have an appointment to keep, and so it looks to me like it's time to go. So I say, you know, it looks like it's time to go so I can keep my appointment. And what does he say? No, I don't want to go. So here's, here's the old way that I would respond to that. Well, come on, we have to go now. It's, you've had fun, and now it's time to go. So what happens after that is he digs his heels in and says, no, I don't want to go, and all of a sudden we have a battle. So here's what I mean about listening for what's important to them. If I can really tune into what's important to him first and say, when he says, no, I don't want to go, what's important to him? So I responded and said, you're really having a lot of fun at the park. Yeah, I'm having fun. I want to stay here. Yeah, I really get that. I really love to see you having so much fun. So what am I doing there? I'm acknowledging what's important to him and giving it credibility and letting him know that I care about it, which I do. I'd love to see him play. Mm-hmm. And then I said, and you know what? Um, I have an appointment, and it's going to be in 15 minutes. So it seems to me like in order to get to my appointment, I need we need to get going, too. So how are we going to... How are we going to solve this problem? 
So part of it is listening to what's important to them, sharing what's also important to us, and involving them in solving the problem because kids are great problem solvers. Even two-year-olds will love this game. How can we figure out what to do so we both are happy with our decision? Usually kids will come right up with things like, well, can I play, can I just do the slide two more times and then we can go? Or, you know, maybe I'll come up with, if we go now and then we come back to the park, you know these things, you know, this kind of problem solving, engage them in the problem solving, but I found that they're only interested in it if they know that we care about what matters to them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That does make sense. That like, seems like a good example. And, I didn't see the comment about that, the slide coming. Excuse me. Go, go ahead. <laughs> I just no. That was a good example. I didn't. Uh, I didn't anticipate the comment about just let me go down the slide a couple more times. Good solution. Well, kids come up with solutions because then it becomes a game, and and they're. They're a participant in making a decision that affects them. Everybody wants to participate in decisions that affect them. So when we as parents make all the decisions, they're going to push back. They want to be included. And they're great problem solvers. And it becomes kind of a game. It can. I mean, not always. But here's another example with a someone, a parent I was coaching, and her 8-year-old um, was saying to her, you know, I hate school. I don't want to go. And the mom was saying, well, you know, you have to go to school. That's ridiculous. And then she'd go on the mom to try and persuade her to look at, well, you know, there are some things you like about school, remember? So the mom is not yet listening to what the child is saying, to what's important. And in fact, the mom didn't even know what it was. Yeah, I see your point. Somebody needs to ask this eight-year-old what is it that you don't like about school? Exactly. So instead of being reactive and trying to manage the situation, part of the, the trick I found is to get curious. Gosh, you, to hear you say, I hate school, I really want to hear what that's about. And this is what I coached the parent to say, and she did, and then she found out something she had no idea was going on, that um, her daughter was not feeling confident in her math class and it was scary to her and she was afraid she was going to do poorly. And so that was something that wouldn't have gotten, you know, wouldn't have gotten surfaced if she didn't ask what her, what her reaction was about. And then once it did, she talked to her daughter about what she could do about that. You know, we could, we could do some more things at home or maybe we could talk to your teacher. Then the child is involved in solving her own problems. So, very empowering, plus you're getting to the root of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there are great math games to play to make it fun to figure that out. <laughs> lots of strategies. Yeah. There's lots of strategies once you see what the, what the real need is. Mm-hmm. Speaking here, of games. More that actually, this is one I'm hearing a lot. Uh, this is a parent I coach with a 14-year-old son who is spending more time with video games than the mother's comfortable with. And so he says things like at dinner time, he was saying, you know, I don't want to come to dinner. I'll eat later. So the mom was concerned, and we talked about this quite a lot. I gave her empathy for her concerns and fears about what might be going on and the amount of time he was spending 
on screens with video games. And then we looked at what she was saying in response to him saying and doing what he was doing. And she was saying things like, you know, this is, this is not good. This is not right. You can't spend so much time. It's not good for you. You have to come to dinner. You know, you won't, you lose out on family time. And she had all these reasons, but she wasn't getting with him about the enjoyment or she didn't even know what it was that was so compelling for him about the video game. She wasn't showing curiosity or interest. And it wasn't until she did get curious and interested and say to him, gosh, you're spending so much time, this much time um, on your video games. I'd love to hear what, what they do for you, what you're enjoying about that. And then he started to talk and they started to have a conversation and then there was an openness on his part because he could tell that his reasons and his needs mattered to her. He was more willing to hear what her needs were and what her concerns were. And then they could have a conversation that they just hadn't been able to have before that. That's a pretty good example. I can certainly it's, remember it's times one. when it was very hard to get the teenagers away from those video games. It's, it's a big, uh, yeah, I hear this a lot these days. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I know that I'm, I'm wondering, and we're probably going to have to continue this train of thought after the break because it's getting near break time, but I'm wondering how hard it is to make the transition if you've been the kind of parent who just says, hey, it's dinner time, come to the table, no arguments, and they're trying to learn to be the kind of parent who's going to listen to what matters to the child and get them involved in cooperating over this issue, how hard is it to make that transition? How do parents do it? Mm-hmm. Great question. Well, it starts with intention. Well, the clarity that um, parents have about what kind of relationships they want, really looking at that and um, seeing, do I want a relationship where I'm the boss and I get my way and I tell the kids what to do and manage their behavior, or do I want a relationship where there's real connection and mutual respect and trust and cooperation? So really getting clear about that is, I'd say, the first step. Okay. And. And not just once and for all, but maybe revisiting that intention every day. <laughs> so that would yeah, be the first Yeah, I, I think that's thing. something that takes a lot of repetition, a lot of practice. All right, we're going to take yeah. a short break now, yeah. and then we will come back and talk more about homes as no-fault zones and parents and kids getting along together. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively, In a private, confidential setting, we help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, 
visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, your host, and I'm talking today with Sura Hart, who is a communication consultant who specializes in helping parents and kids and teachers and others develop no-fault zones where people treat each other with respect and cooperate to solve problems. You can find more information about her work online at www.vnofaultzone.com. So before the break, Sura, we were talking about parents starting with the intention of changing how they interact with their kids and listening well and involving the child in problem solving. What's the next step to converting your house into a no-fault zone? Well, there are many things, um, many practices we can take up, but I think that power of intention is huge to really, really get clear what kind of relationships we want. And then also start to really notice what is going on, what our habits are. And one of the habits, um, if we're going for respectful relationships and the no-fault zone home, is to notice how much we talk compared to how much we listen. Because uh, uh, in, the, in the old paradigm of power over parenting, um, parents as the boss um, model, parents spend a lot more time talking almost at their kids than they do listening. So I would just say, first of all, notice what your habits are. Without judging, just observe how much time you talk to them compared to how much you actually listen with an interest to know what's going on. That would be the first step because I think, the, you know, these habits, ingrained habits, are not easy to change. They take effort 
over time, and they take real uh, mindfulness and awareness about about what habits we have. So we have to be able to look at those without freaking out and judging ourselves, but just to notice and see if maybe there's more room for wondering and asking what's going on with them rather than telling them as much of the time. So that's a big one, I think. Mm-hmm. That does sound and, like a big one. Yeah, and it doesn't happen overnight. That's why the intention needs to be revisited to keep coming back to, okay, I want to do that. I really want to listen more than talk and just see what difference that can make. Mm-hmm. Try one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, another, you know, these are simple things to do, and but I agree with you. It's not easy to shift ingrained habits of parenting, but um, the new moves are not that difficult. Um, for instance, to listen, spend more time listening and asking, you know, what they mean and what's important to them. Uh, Another one is noticing how often we uh, celebrate and express gratitude for the gifts that our children bring to us. Because, you know, even at early ages, one years old, two years old, children come in wanting to give their gifts. They're a smile or a laugh or they want to see us smile or they want to bring us a flower or... Um, or an acorn, or, joy. yeah. Hmm? Yes, they'll bring an acorn or a feather, or you know, yeah. whatever interesting little treasure they found. Yeah. So it's our natural joy in giving to one another. But if we're too busy to notice these little things, and we just don't even notice, or go, "Oh, how lovely, fine." But if we go, "Wow," when you walk in the door and smile like that, it just lights up my heart. Stuff like that, really receiving their giving because that encourages and inspires what I believe is our natural joy in giving to one another. So that's the other thing, and, and appreciating when they, you know, do things that really help us and serve other people. So taking time for that, for gratitude and celebration, is another thing that's not difficult to do. It's the awareness that we perhaps could be doing it more. That builds goodwill. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And that it is surprising how many families act a little bit the way I imagine people in a military setting might act, where if you do things right, nobody says anything about it. And if you do something wrong, then you get criticized and blamed and punished and redirected. Um, Yeah. But yeah, expressing appreciation for when people do something positive would be a big step forward in a lot of families. Yeah, and in couples too, right? In in all relationships. That's true. Sometimes, you know, like you say, I think a lot of the time if we start to notice when we have, you know, when we have real meaningful conversations with each other or certainly when we say, gee, I'd like to talk something over with you, people generally expect it to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Rather than, you know, what if we took the same amount of time to to set aside time to celebrate and share our gratitude? Ooh, Ooh I like that, that idea. That I gotta tr- I'm going to try that one out on my husband. <laughs> there you <laughs> See go. See what he says about that. <laughs> there you go. And and part of it, too, you know, and I'm, I'm really in favor of family meetings. You know, taking time, having a set time where we make sure that we do this kind of exchange. And yes, where we 
solve problems together and talk about things that aren't working, but spend equal time talking about things that are working and things we're appreciating. So, and then, and then make time to have fun together and let the kids join in in creating those family meetings. Otherwise, you know, we're in, we're in such a rush of life. Things, time goes by so fast. And, um, you know, a successful business doesn't run like that without regular meetings where we check in and see what's going well, what's not going well. Uh, so if we could run our families just as well as a successful business, I think we'd be a lot better off. That's actually one of the things that my not blended family figured out after a while. We decided that we needed to have family meetings so that the kids wow. could be involved in making the rules. So it would, there'd be buy-in. It'd be easier to say, you know, you agreed that after you had a whole hour of playing a video game. You would have to yield the machine to somebody else so they could have their turn. Um, yeah, how did that go? Did that- um, it, it didn't make us the Brady Bunch, but it <laughs> did uh, reduce the tension level a lot, reduce arguments a lot, made people happier. Mm. Wow. Well, that's a great testament. I, I'm just really in I favor get- of family meetings, and I rarely meet a family who... Who, who who uses them. Yeah. Well, we kind of had you know? to. <laughs> Desperation. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, we never got to the point where we were really good at celebrating together, but we did find mm-hmm. ways to have fun together. I don't know. We mm. celebrated some. We did some celebrations together, but we did more problem solving than gratitude kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, you know, in working with parents, I, the first thing really is to start to observe our, our habits and see, you know, if there's room to, to shift a little bit from, you know, to having more fun, celebrating mm-hmm. more, listening more, those sorts of things that can contribute significantly to more connection, okay. which is what people are longing for Yeah, everywhere. Yep. Yeah, most people do need to feel Positive connections to other people. It's essential for our thriving as human beings and participation, too. Participation yeah. in the, the decisions that affect us and in our family, our place of belonging. Very okay. important. Let's take a question that might be a hard one. Suppose that you've got one parent who reads your book and says, yes, this is. I want to change the way I interact with my kids. This is what I want to do. And the other parent is not on board. The other parent says, look, I'm the parent. They're the kids. I'll tell them what to do. You know, we're not going to do this crazy new stuff that Sir Hart thinks is a good idea. <laughs> How do, you, do you have any advice for the parent who's seen the light and in dealing with the other parent or just uh, being successful on his own or on her own, even if the other parent won't participate? Well, I've run into this a lot, actually, Virginia. <laughs> this is not uncommon. Um, of course, it's great if the parents, both parents or however many parents there are, can be aligned in their vision and then their strategies going forward. But I've run into this quite a lot. And um, then I do coach the the parent who's really going in this direction of more connection and less control. 
to um, use the same techniques with their um, parenting partner to be curious about what's behind their choices and strategies to really have those conversations so that they're not getting into argument with them and trying to persuade them that they're right, but they're getting curious about why they're choosing those strategies and what they're really after. But they find when, they, when they're able to do that and um, really listen to their parenting partner with interest to know rather than desire to persuade or be right is um, usually they come to a place where they realize they want the same thing and they want the respect, they want the cooperation, they want the fun at home. And um, then it's just a matter of having some different strategies in mind for getting there. And sometimes there too, they get into some problem uh, solving where once the parent is listened to, Again, once we know that our needs matter to the other person, it doesn't matter what age we are. Once we know that our needs matter to them, there is an opening in us to listen to them. When we don't believe that our needs matter to someone, there isn't that openness. We -hmm. shut down. Mm -hmm. But showing that interest, genuine interest, has to be genuine interest, not just words, but genuine interest in, you know, parenting partner, you know, I'm, I'm curious you know, about that strategy that you're using and what you're really after. I'd like to hear more about what leads you to believe that, you know, punishing the children, for instance, is going to create the respect and cooperation that I hear you want. So just to engage in those conversations. And um, then sometimes there's an opening in the other person to try something new as an experiment. In a way, I mean, all life is an experiment, and that's all we're ever doing. So there may be an openness to try something. Oh, that's a great reminder. We used to do that. We would we would agree as a family, we're going to try this for four weeks, and then we'll decide whether we like this new way of doing things. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and see, and when you're having regular conversations, you can you can do that. You can, the kids going to do it too. Like, okay, I want to be the boss for a week and see how that is. Okay, let's try that and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Or exactly, let's, that's let's a pretty radical idea. <laughs> putting the kid in charge. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been done. It's been done because why not? Let's make it fun. And um, one of the chapters in Respectful Parents, Respectful Kids, our book too, is learn together as you go. Try things okay. out, you know, set a time limit, make it, make it a fun experiment. And then if you have regular meetings, then you can check it out and see how it went. How did that go to do what we said we were going to do? Okay. Well, we have talked about parents listening to kids and we've talked about partners listening to each other. And I'm remembering that one of the early chapters in your book is about parents' needs. So it's not only about the child's needs or about what parents need to do to be effective with their kids. So which parent needs did you have in mind when you wrote that chapter? What was important about them? Well, this comes from our work with uh, nonviolent communication the understood was developed by uh, American psychologist uh, Marshall Rosenberg. So one of the premises of nonviolent communication is that everything any of us do is an attempt to meet one or more of universal human needs that people all over the planet of any age, our children, our parents, 
our partners, we all have the same needs. Needs like honesty and empathy and respect and cooperation and friendship and communication and all the, all those kinds of needs, understanding. And it, we are always actually in pursuit of fulfilling those needs. And if we know what needs, the needs are, we're better able to meet them. Very often we aren't cognizant of what we're doing, why we're doing it. But mm-hmm. um, nonviolent communication is pointing us in the direction of what, what needs are calling you? What is it you're after? And those are the kinds of inquiries that we have when we're listening to kids. What, what's behind what he said? I'm wondering what need he has. So part of it, and really the, the main part of nonviolent communication, the main practice is um, getting conversant with my own needs, knowing where I'm coming from when I say what I say or ask for what I ask for, what's important to me when I, um, when I ask my grandson to um, not put his feet on the table, which I did yesterday. I said, now, why do you think I'm asking you to not put your feet on the table? And he said, so my feet won't get mayonnaise on them? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, you know, that is, that is true. <laughs> and I'm also interested in the mayonnaise and the other food, not getting the dirt from your feet. <laughs> so I'm looking at <laughs> So I have to be clear, you know, or I want to be clear why I'm asking people to do what I'm asking them to do and why, what's the motivation for my behavior. And it's, this is the, uh, I think, the really powerful tool that nonviolent communication um, has brought to us. Okay. So parents you- have needs. What are they? Very important right. that we, we know what they are um, and why we're asking people to do what we ask them to do. Do you encourage parents actually to tell their kids, you know, this is something that I need and I'd like you to help me out with it? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm really wanting some some rest right now and I'm wondering if you could help me out by, you know, turning down the radio. I see. Because huh? that cooperation that we're after, I think, is also a natural part of our of our humanity, that we love to help each other out if we can do it um, voluntarily, if it isn't a demand. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's key there. It's like we love to give to each other and help each other out if we know what need it's serving mm-hmm. and if we have choice about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure where I read this, but I think somewhere you wrote something about... Um, Kids copy what you do. They don't necessarily do what you say, but they copy what you do. And so if you as a parent are living honestly and with commitment to your values, kids are going to see that and they're likely to copy that. Yeah, our our actions speak a lot louder than our words. So in in this regard of taking care of our own needs, we're tending to to ourselves. We're not self-sacrificing and we're tending to needs also for rest. For companionship, for support, um, things like that that are seems seem like essential resources in order to do our parenting job. Okay, well, I love the fact that you and your co-author Victoria Kendall Hudson not only wrote these books, but you also developed a game that people could use to 
to practice these skills and to communicate with each other. So we're going to take a break now. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about your game. Great. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at colinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Communications expert Sura Hart is here with me today on Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and we've been talking about acknowledging needs and uh, listening to each other and working together to solve problems and make decisions and celebrate and express gratitude. And I'm going to take us back for a moment to Sura Hart's book, which she wrote with Victoria Kindle Hudson, Respectful Parents, Respectful Kids, Seven Keys to Turn Family Conflict into Cooperation. Tell me about these seven keys. We've, we've surely discussed some of them, but let's get them as a nice little list. Okay. Be happy to. Um, the first key is Parent with Purpose. And that relates to what we were talking about, having an intention, uh, a vision for your parenting and 
revisiting it and um, really being cognizant of it through your days. So parent with purpose, the power of intention. Key two is see the needs behind every action. So looking through this lens, this no-fault lens, we're, we're looking to see the, the underlying human needs that motivate everything people say or do. So when our child does something, says no, we're looking to see what are they saying yes to? What's the need that's really having them say that to us or if they say, I hate school? What's the need behind that? So cultivating that curiosity and uh, looking for the underlying needs behind behavior. That's the second key. The third key is creating safety, trust, and belonging. Again, a lot of listening and also um, no punishment. No punishment. In our view, punishment never works to create the relationships that we want. There's a lot of research coming out to back that up now, more than there was when we wrote this book back in 2006. Key four is inspire giving. We see humans as natural givers. We love to give to each other, and I talked about that a little bit, and you did too, about the child who brings us a feather and brings us an acorn and brings us a smile to really receive it, receive their giving, and that inspires them to believe that they're powerful givers, that they can contribute, and they will continue to do that because it makes them feel good. Uh, we're really going for that feel-good thing in the brain, you know, and the endorphins. And um, giving gives us that. So we want to acknowledge and inspire that. The key four is use a language of respect. Uh, this has to do with a needs-based language um, that is uh, laid out in our book in very simple form and is based on uh, nonviolent communication, speaking to needs, sharing what's important to each of us. And um, number six is learn together as you go. I mentioned that before, that uh, our life as in a family is really a series of experiments. It can be a lot of fun if we're learning together rather than as a parent thinking we need to have all the answers and we need to tell them and direct them what to do. So learn together as you go. And number seven is make your home a no-fault zone. Now, when uh, Victoria and I got to writing that seventh key, make your home a no-fault zone, what we realized, our delight, is that in the families we've worked with, the ones who have gone through the first six keys to some degree or other really had already created a no-fault home, a no-fault zone in their home, and they didn't have so many conflicts. They didn't have so many arguments. And they were having a whole lot more fun. So that was kind of a fun place to end our keys there, make your home a no-fault zone, seeing that so many conflicts had already been um, eliminated or reduced. Now, for the ones that remain, what we, what we noticed is that, well, our definition of conflict is a moment in time when we don't yet know how to address all the needs on the table. It's a problem or a puzzle to solve. So that's a definition of life. There's always things that we're trying to figure out and find the best solution for, but what makes it feel like conflict usually is when fear enters in, fear that we're not going to be able to resolve it, 
fear that our needs won't get met. So we, we, we like to look at conflict as a problem to solve and see that we have tools to, do, to solve problems so that we don't need to be afraid that we can't do it. We have some tools. And one of the tools is, um, that we've developed is this game, the no-fault zone game, um, that actually gives hands-on tools and language to help us clarify uh, what's going on, what matters to us in any situation, in any problem, and helps us to share it with one another, actually have conversations by laying down cards that express feelings and these needs or values, what matters to us. The cards give the language to what's going on inside of us, and we lay them down on a mat that we call your map of inner space. So each person in in the game has a map of inner space and has a deck of cards with this language that speaks to our inner life, what truly matters to us. So uh, you can see pictures of the game, um, which I think will be a, uh, a lot more... A lot, a lot more helpful than me talking more and trying to describe it more, but it's basically a mat, a mat with cards, and you can use it, people use it individually to sort out, maybe you had a rough day, maybe there was a conversation that didn't go the way you wanted. Um, you can sit down with the mat and the cards and sort out, well, what am I really feeling about this? And what's really important to me? What are maybe the three most important needs in this conversation that really didn't get met. So you can use it individually to get clarity about a problem. You can use it with somebody else to have a conversation where you take up a situation, a conversation that just happened that was unsatisfying, and each one of you has your mat and your cards, and you take time to sort out your cards and lay them down on the mat to express what matters most to you about that situation. And then you can look at each other's cards. So I have some more examples of how the game is used, but um, oh, I'm wondering me. if that gives you some clarity or brings up some questions for you, Virginia. Well, I looked at the game. I went to the nofaultzone.com last night and looked at the mat, which has places for requests, needs, feelings, and observations. I thought that was interesting that there's a place for observations that are just about facts, not about your feelings or your needs. Um, So it was an intriguing mat, and I tried to get my husband to play with me. And he was not in the mood to do that. So maybe you can give me some advice about uh, getting guys. I think it might be guys more often than women who are reluctant to try this game out. Um, but it did intrigue me. And I'm not sure that I answered your question. Well, that that does give me some answer, though, too, and, and something to speak to. Um, we have found that the game itself, because it's colorful and it's got these words on it, and it sparks people's curiosity. So sometimes uh, people just leave them around the house and use them themselves. And the children will come by or the husband might come by in your case and say, what is that? That's a great question, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then you get to share a little bit about why why you're using it or what you're doing with it. And so that's my approach to sharing it with other people rather than telling them they should 
be interested, but to use it yourself and see where the curiosity comes up in them. And, and it usually does. Ah, okay. um, because, because it's about self-expression. We all want to be seen and heard. And uh, when they start to see that they could use it to be seen and heard, their interest gets piqued. And, um, well, here's an, I mean, one of the things we've loved about this is, too, is that it's really um, spoken word and conversation is not, it's not, it's challenging, especially around challenging issues to talk about it with words and listen. So this really works for visual learners and tactile learners and people who maybe don't talk a lot. Uh, I'm thinking of, well, I've had many examples of this, but I'm thinking of a family of four that I uh, worked with in a, in a workshop and we were using the game and the mother had said, there were two children and her husband, and she had said uh, things like, you know, my husband doesn't really share much. And she had also said, my kids don't really tell me much about what's going on. So we gave them a game. Everybody had a mat and card decks, and they, the observation pieces, you know, they decided on a situation they wanted to talk about. can't remember what it was at the time, but then each one of them sorted through their cards to find out what their feelings are and what was important to them, what their needs were. And lo and behold, the husband and the kids laid their cards down right away. They identified what was going on inside of them right away with the cards. The mother took longer <laughs> to sort through the cards. So it's kind of a learning style modality in, in some cases where it might not be easy for someone in your family to talk about their feelings and what it's important to them, but the cards are evocative, and it's quite easy for them to put them down, to identify them and put them down. You know, maybe it so, will be helpful yeah. if we actually say some of what's on some of the cards. For example, if you have a, um, a husband and wife talking about planning the next family vacation, and they've got their two mats and their decks of cards, what, what are the words that might appear on those mats? Well, there's one deck for, that are feeling words. So in, in looking at their planning their uh, vacation, one of them might have some apprehension or fearfulness based on what's gone before, or maybe excitement. So whatever feelings are true for them, they put those cards, those feeling cards down in, in the feeling zone on the mat. And then the need, then there's needs cards that talk about what's important to you. Those things like connection, you know, looking at our vacation, for instance, what are the what are the most important things about that for you? And each person puts down what it is. If it, is it fun? Is it connection? Is it communication? Is it relaxation? And then they can share what's important to them. So imagine a whole family doing that and coming up with what everybody is really going for in that vacation and how how much that could inform what they decide to do and how they decide to do it. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay, we have just a minute or two left, and I know you've used this in schools also. Would you like to say something about that? Yes, we designed a whole curriculum around the game called the No Fault Classroom where students have these maps of inner space and the cards that... um, help them express feelings and needs or what matters to them and also look at choices they have. There's a choice deck as well. And um, 
it's used in a variety of ways in schools, both to find out, you know, what's going on in a situation. Say something happens in the playground and kids come in and they're all upset about it. They can all get out their mats and their card decks and sort through what's, what's going on inside each one of them. And the teacher can get a read of what's going on in the classroom really quickly, just looking around. And the kids can, too. So it's not just the teacher sharing information about how people are doing, but the kids can get that visual message, too, even walk around and look at what's going on for other people. So they get that shared perspective, not just their own. That's one way. We also... um, we use it in academics as well to sort out the feelings and the motivation of characters in literature and in history. So it's used in academics as well as in uh, social-emotional learning. Okay. I want to remind the listeners that they can find this game or, you know, a lot of information about it and a picture of it and descriptions of it online at thenofaultzone.com. And it's colorful and intriguing, and you can do it as solitaire, or you can do it in pairs, or you can do it as a group. So it's it's really quite intriguing. I want to encourage people to look that up. Any last thoughts you want to share, or anything you want to uh, emphasize as just before we say goodbye? Hmm. Well, I, I, I'm just noticing Virginia how easy it is to talk about. You know what parents can do, and um, as you pointed out a few times. It's not that easy, and parenting is not easy. So I, I just would like to close with um, a great deal of appreciation for parents. And uh, this is bringing up tears for me that one of the practices I really like to support is that parents get themselves appreciation for their passion, their care, their love, and all their best efforts. So I think that's maybe one of the most important practices a parent can take up is more appreciation for for their endeavors and their heart. Well, I'll take this opportunity to express my appreciation to you for sharing this wisdom on my show. And I'll look forward to talking with you again sometime. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.